Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. From the Milton Metz studio and IU's radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from WFIU WTIU News, and I'm co-hosting today with Sarah Whitmeyer, the WFIU WTIU News Bureau Chief. This week we're talking about a proposed local income tax to create a sustainability investment fund. That fund would address climate issues over the next uh, several years. We have four guests with us in the studio. John Hamilton is here. John, of course, is the mayor of Bloomington. William Ellis is the chairman of the Monroe County Republican Party and a member of the Ellettsville Town Council. Mary Morgan is director of Ag- advocacy and public policy for the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. And joining us again on the show is Matt Flaherty, the uh, Bloomington City Council member. He's a member at large. You can join us on the program uh, by calling 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We've done quite a bit of uh, reporting and storytelling about the climate change issue over the last several months here. We had one live program uh, downtown at Inkwell. Matt was on that panel, and uh, so was, was the, mayor. the mayor was on, too, of course, I think. I don't, the mayor. No, it wasn't not the mayor. Mm-hmm. No, no, not no. at the Inkwell. Right. You see me enough, you, you're going to make sense. <laughs> That's right. It was Alex Crowley who represented yeah. the city yeah. at that show. So, But we want to kind of set the stage for the issues of climate change. We have a uh, clip we want to play. Savannah Sullivan is with the Environmental Resilience Institute. She's the toolkit coordinator for that institute at IU. Bloomington experiences about 26 days at 90 degrees Fahrenheit per year. Um, And by the 2050s, Bloomington will experience 74 to 87 days per year above 90 degrees. Similarly, there are currently 19 heavy precipitation events per decade. And by the 2050s, there will be 22 to 23 of these events per decade. And this is important because the Midwest, the climate impacts we can anticipate are extreme heat and extreme precipitation, and we will see real outcomes uh, in Bloomington. So I'm sure that's not news to those to, to the mayor and to Matt and to Mary and, and to William, but I want to ask uh, Mayor John Hamilton to start. Uh, this tax that you, you're talking about um, would try to help combat the issues of climate change, you know, why go that direction? What what do you hope to achieve with this tax? Yeah, thanks first for having us, having us on to talk about this really important issue. It's good to see you again, Bob and Sarah. Thanks. Um, let me, you know, I there are really two big things going on, um, and, and anytime I get with mayors, um, other leadership around the country, one of the issues is, are we going to have a planet to live on? <laughs> and will our future generations have a sustainable, habitable planet and communities around the country and our community? That's one kind of question. Are we protecting the physical world? But a second parallel and equal question is, will, will the new society that we have have a place for everybody in it? Because climate change is going to create a lot of stress, not just in weather events like that, but also to our economy and to our society. And, and so what, we, what we've tried to do and what I've tried to propose is, is to note that the 2020s is a critical decade. If we don't make major, major progress in the 2020s to address both of those things, doing our part locally to help deal with the threats and the real things coming at us from climate change on the one hand, and also doing our part to make sure that the new society that will come as we go toward a no-carbon economy, all those changes, will we make sure that we have a place for everybody, that everybody can have a, a job, that everybody can have a place to live, that we will have those. So both of those are meant to be addressed by this by this new revenue, which we need to to make some new uh, actions on that. All right. Matt, from the city council perspective, you're supportive of this, I think. 
right? Yeah, generally supportive of the idea, I think, um, and, and helping to coordinate public input and engagement um, around that, as well as uh, initiating conversations with uh, other folks on the Local Income Tax Council, which is ultimately the body that will um, vote on something like this uh, as it's developed. But, I, you know, I think the mayor's framing of two, a two-part question like that is pretty good. I agree. And if you... Uh, you know, I, I just finished a double master's degree program at, at uh, the O'Neill School here, focusing on climate change and energy policy, and um, have done some work with NGOs in that space. And I would really characterize that as a, you know, an equitable and just transition uh, that we need to undertake uh, to get to a low carbon economy or a zero carbon economy, and to make sure, yes, that everybody has a place in that, you know, future world that we are actually moving towards a more equitable and more sustainable future. And to me, that's really what this is about: is talking about not uh, simply reacting to the changes that are coming our way, but rather preparing for them and making sure that we are using that as a, as a window of opportunity for positive transformation for the future of Bloomington. Okay. Well, I want to ask uh, William, from, the, um, you know, from your standpoint, let's talk about the tax and the, the tax council and how this tax is going to be uh, implemented. You've got some thoughts about that, I'm sure. <laughs> I definitely do. Um, one of the things that I – and that's great what Bloomington wants to do with theirs. I mean, I'm not going to try to tell the mayor or anybody on the city council they shouldn't want to spend their money the way they should. But the way the state law is set up for the income tax council right now, if the city council even votes 5-4 for it, it kind of pretty much said they have controlling interest to that local income tax board, and that tax would be implemented countywide. And the opposition I've seen to it is not so much the use as much as you've got people that are going to be taxed for something that whether they agree with it or not, they have no representation really on that board because one controlling entity has complete control over it. The, the county council can vote zero and seven and say, we don't want it. Ellettsville can vote zero and five. We don't want it. As long as Bloomington votes five, four. The tax is implemented countywide. And Ellettsville is already, because of the school system, because of TIF districts, one of the highest taxed areas in Monroe County. This would be really uh, detrimental to a lot of our residents. And, you know, I know uh, he addressed about the, the working poor and the poor. I don't think they're going to see a direct uh, one for one uh, kind of putback, no matter what we spend this on because that money's going out of their uh, paycheck. They have other things they can spend it on. We have people are living paycheck to paycheck in Ellettsville and other places, and we're talking about raising wages and c making competitive market, and then if you all of a sudden hit their income, well, that negates that. So are we going to talk about having higher wages to offset a higher tax? So, I mean, it's just... These are these are situations, and especially the way the tax board is set up, we're very concerned with. All right, and Mary Morgan is here, and she's from the Bloom Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. Mary, has the chamber taken a position on this, or are you just waiting to see? No, we haven't taken a position on this one way or another, but obviously we do have thoughts. Um, you know, the community spent a lot of time and energy uh, a few years ago doing the comprehensive plan. I think the word sustain or sustainability is mentioned over 60 times, and so I think we have a good framework from which to begin, and I hope that the comprehensive plan and the sustainability action plan are really front and center. We're, we, we do have concerns um, about the process and some uh, hope that the process is very inclusive and transparent as we move forward. Mm -hmm. So why a tax? Why couldn't this be done with shifting existing funds around? Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> Let me respond to a couple things. Um, first of all, the state law that's how this tax is done. You know, if Bloomington could pass our own city tax, we'd welcome that uh, if that's an authority to do so. But the state prescribes how these taxes are done. The rules all apply to 92 counties, and, and uh, uh, we're working with the, uh, the hand we've been dealt. For example, we'd love to pass a progressive income tax, too, but we're not allowed to do that. So we take the the uh, approaches we have. Indiana continues to be a very low tax state, and, and Monroe County, to the surprise of most people, is the lowest income tax of all seven contiguous counties uh, that we have. We are very low tax Monroe uh, County as well. But um, in my view, the 2020s are going to demand new attention. Uh, and it's not just my view. You know, we've done two city surveys, scientific surveys, and each of them, 90% of the respondents have said the city should spend more money, new money, to help our homeless. 
to help create housing, and not just housing, but also job supports and, and, and support for people with mental illness. And the challenges in front of us are big, uh, and they're going to take new resources. And I do want to echo one thing Matt said, which is really important to remember, in my view. The, the community that we can make at the end of a 10-year investment is a great community. It's really moving us in the direction that our people want to go with more transit, with more trails, with more sidewalks, with more clean energy, with more affordable housing, all those things that we really are in our value system, this can help us get to. At the same time, we're doing the right thing to be a more sustainable uh, and climate responsive community. All right, our phone numbers, if you want to join our conversation today or if you have questions, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. We also are taking questions at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We have a great panel in here. We had a lot of people we wanted to talk to on this show. Uh, one of the people that uh, was recommended to us was Ross Martini Eiler, who's the organizer of a group called the Golden Bicycle Movement. And uh, we did talk to him. Our producer, Benta Boutier, talked to him by phone. Here's one of the things that he said. Certainly, we are very encouraged to see that the city is beginning to take the climate emergency seriously. However, flat taxes are regressive, and that is due to a fact of the Republican state legislature, which does not allow a progressive tax. But the local income tax will be harder on our poor and low-income fellow citizens. And so we are interested that this tax is used in a very progressive way that benefits those who are directly affected by climate change and also income inequality. And also that this isn't an opportunity for creating some other kind of slush fund or rainy day fund for the city to do projects that are nominally climate focused while passing up opportunities to take real action on climate in other areas, but choosing not to do so. All right, let me unwrap that a little bit. Uh, William talked about the uh, the the tax and the way that it's going to be set up. Um, the mayor mentioned the fact that he would like to have a progressive tax, but but can't. So I just want to get your reaction to what, what Ross said. Mayor, Matt, anybody else? Mary? Yeah, I'd like to jump in. I mean, I think one of the um, issues that I've heard is concern about how that money is spent. Um, one of the, the challenges with bringing forward a proposal that starts with a, the funding mechanism versus starting with the projects is that people focus on that funding me mechanism as opposed to here's our community's top 10 priorities and how can we fund them. Maybe let's a part of that. Maybe there are other resources. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, when uh, I think this speaks to the importance of having some kind of dashboard. I know that Matt and I um, have talked about that where you um, have very clear transparency about how that money is spent. I also think the possibility of sunsetting um, at, at a ten, over a 10-year period might be uh, an option that would help people accept that this is a new revenue stream that's going to have an endpoint. At that point, we can evaluate whether or not we've been effective in achieving the goals that we set. And if we have, maybe we want to do it again. If not, then we'll do something else. Okay. So you're, you're saying basically we'd say... This is a 10-year tax, and then after 10 years, it has to be reauthorized or it just goes away. Yeah, and I don't know that the state legislature allows that, but certainly the tax council could vote to repeal it. William? Yeah, um, I've heard the mayor and other people say that, you know, that kind of this is the hand they've been dealt. So would you be willing to go with us to lobby the state legislature to change that this year? Some language was taken out. If you wanted to make it progressive, let's put that in. It sounds like you don't like the way that we do not that the Income Tax Council is set up. So will you help with that? Because the Association of Indiana account, or Cities or Municipalities, AIM, is one of the big lobbyists to keep this the status quo. And if one of the major cities, Bloomington, being impacted, feels the status quo needs to change, I'd invite you to help us change it. Well, I appreciate the invitation, William. Uh, we usually don't find the state legislatures uh, terribly uh, supportive of a lot of the things that we're interested in Bloomington. In fact, the exact opposite. But, but uh, I do. It's unfortunate that the state legislature seems to be dominated by voices that uh, are not focused on the economic engines of our municipalities. Uh, we certainly work very hard at the state legislature to support all kinds of things, including local fiscal control. Which, which if the legislature would actually let 
the people of our communities uh, decide how we want to finance things, that would be a great thing altogether. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're not going to support that, but happy to talk to you about those details. Can and, I ask about, about uh, going back to the city-county split? Some of the money would mm-hmm. go to the county, right? Absolutely. About half of it does go to the county. Uh, and, it, it, you know, we actually just passed a, a local income tax in 2016 with no, no complaints from the, from the various voices when we supported a public safety income tax uh, that, that is financing v- very important public safety improvements both in the city and around the county. Uh, that was really important. That was a 025 percent. Uh, and this, this would provide funding to the county directly as well as to Ellsville and Steinsville that they can then allocate as they see fit. I would love to see more coordination um, in terms of planning with the county, um, Ellettsville, Steinsville, um, other parts of the county, because I think there's some overlapping projects that would be really important to get everyone on board with. Uh, there is no obligation for the county to spend its money in any way other than it chooses to. But I think um, transit, for example, comes to mind, and some housing issues as well would really benefit from having some coordinated planning if we pass this tax. Matt? Yeah, I'll agree with Mary there that I think, um, and I'm, I'm, I am working that as a, as a member of the city council, I'm working on that, uh, trying to have conversations with, with other folks in the local income tax council. William, let's uh, speak after this meeting too to figure out if we can get, get together and have a conversation about um, you know what needs uh, Ellettsville has and, and how we can try to work together and see where there's overlap and, and interest here. But um, transit is certainly one area that could benefit the whole county uh, to have increased funding at both the city level and county level and, and coordinate better on that. Park and rides, for instance, for our net in, you know, significant in-commute uh, is, is one possible example. Even discussions around an Ellettsville uh, Bloomington commuter shuttle or maybe send that all the way out to Spencer. Um, there, there are ways to really, yeah, work together and work collaboratively that I hope we can explore. Um, our governmental entities aren't necessarily super well set up to do that. So I'm, we're trying to figure out how to have those conversations and figure out where we can coordinate. And, and I think transit's a great example as, as of an area where um, we're really prioritizing equity and making sure that not only are we helping to address our carbon footprint and reduce that and be more sustainable and reduce air pollution, but it's really helping folks who are struggling, who might not be able to afford uh, to drive or, or own a car or when the car breaks down, not be able to afford to fix it. So we need to be able to make sure people can move around, access amenities, access jobs, that sort of thing. Um, really, the only thing Ellisville wants to do with the tax is refund it back to the people that were taxed. Um, we have, I've not had one person in Ellisville yet come to me in support. And for a small town like that to have... You, I've had probably 30 or 40 Facebook messages, 10 or 15 emails, numerous calls. None of them want it. And they, you know, we're trying – to me, if we're going to address some of these issues, I would rather address it with tax credits and in, incentives. Instead of using the stick, use the carrot. There's a private company now called Arcadia Energy that you can actually for free switch over your electric for carbon offsets. Now, every – Every time you do that, they're actually able to use some of the funds there because uh, it's an ad. Uh, you actually can do a paid prescription and sub- do the whole thing and switch it. Long story short, they have built probably 40 or 50 solar farms in the last year and a half countrywide. And the more of an area that switches, the closer those solar farms are going to come to you. So it would be a direct benefit. Why don't we have a symposium with private companies like that to try to attract people to voluntarily do it? Personally, I've saved 16 tons of uh, carbon in the last year. Now, multiply that by 5,000 people. You know, that's a small amount of people in the city of Bloomington. you got your 80-ton savings that you're looking for right there. Mayor? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the city's done a lot with renewable energy, and we, we do face – Indiana is the eighth most carbon-intensive per capita state in the country. Bloomington is a little better than Indiana average, uh, but we're still below the national average in terms of our carbon footprint. So we have a lot of great work to go. I think that kind of symposium can be good. But I, I want to respond directly to Ross Martini Arlen's point, which is a really important and good one um, that I think both city council and, and this administration agree with, which is it's very important to see the investments of this new tax uh, tilt toward and focus on climate justice, uh, sustainability for our whole economy, for all the people in our economy, while we're doing environmental improvements. As Matt mentioned, transit improvements help a whole bunch to avoid transportation costs that you otherwise have to incur. They also are really good for our environment. 
Similarly, affordable housing that lets more people live closer to where they work and other amenities is really important and helpful. So I think his point is very well taken. I know it's sensitive to the council and it's certainly something in the front of our mind in this administration too. So the last time I remember doing a show like this was when we were talking about the food and beverage tax to fund mm-hmm. the convention center expansion. And as we all know, folks have been paying that tax and there's still there's no groundbreaking or anything on the convention <laughs> center expansion. So how with that being said and pretty recent in people's memories, um, how do you convince people that this is going to be different? What's going to be the plan so that we get the money and we move forward with something? <laughs> Well, uh, first of all, I'd say we're really close in the convention center. The money has been uh, collected uh, coming up about on two years. All that's being collected and saved to to invest in the convention center. Uh, I think we're really close to be being able to um, kick that off this year, which will be really important. And that was a dedicated tax pr- paid primarily, at least by half, by, uh, by visitors to our community who help support that. This tax will go through, both in Bloomington and the County Council and Ellisville and Steinsville, it'll go through the regular budget processes. So it's an annual um, uh, budget review uh, of how to allocate this. We, I think it would be a good idea to set up this segregated fund, the Sustainability Investment Fund, to, p- to put a fence around it and say it's going to be used for these particular purposes. In ter- and I just would mention, in terms of its longevity, this tax can be repealed by the Local Income Tax Council at any time. Uh, it is not like a... Once it gets established, the community could decide after three years or ten years or seven years or whenever how to change it. So that's that's done. And every year is an appropriation of the tax. And I totally agree that having a kind of a dashboard or or a public reporting on how we're doing on the transit and on the housing, on the energy all is a, a really good idea. Mary, your reaction, then we're going to take a short break. Then we have a question we're going to go to. <laughs> sure. I just wanted to, I'm relatively new to this community. Uh, ha, have we ever repealed a tax before? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just, that's a legit question. Have we? They wouldn't even put a sunset clause in with the food and beverage tax, which originally in 2013, that was discussed. And we they, put tax caps in place, you know. We, we've had tax caps in place, but I don't know. I'm, I don't. Bob may have a longer memory than I, I do. I don't recall I don't uh, any tax being repealed. Well, of course, it's up to the elected officials. So if the people want it, as you know, if this is wildly unpopular and this, you know, for whatever reason, because we don't see the return on investment in, in four years when the city council's up, that's a, you know, can be a referendum on this issue if if that's where we are. So of course, there's always. I think it would be useful to be more planful about it. I'm just saying that I think if we say five years, ten years, and at that point we'll evaluate. As opposed to being reactive, that might be. County and Ellisville residents don't get that referendum chance, though. Mm -hmm. It won't matter. Well, everybody's represented on the Local Income Tax Council according to where they live and the governmental entity that represents them. So everybody does have representation. Nobody votes for everybody on the Local Income Tax Council, including city residents. You only vote for four city council members, any given city resident. So again, this is a state-prescribed process that has representation according to population, according to where you live, just like any other legislative process at the state or the federal level or anywhere else. I think just to clarify, though, the, the tax council itself, there are five members from the city... Right. Or no, no, majority of members from the city. A majority is from the city, correct? A 58 percent vote 58%. share on the local income tax council is allocated to the Bloomington City Council based on population. Can That's I correct. ask a really okay. dumb question before we go to break? But why isn't it just? A, why isn't it a referendum like we do with if we, if the schools state law raise money? That's a state state law factor. So it's decided uh, and re- entirely and by what, this committee. Yes, it is. And let me just point mm-hmm. referendum. You know, those are often put in place, um, in my view, for example, the school referendum takes enormous energy to fund the schools that, in my view, ought to be funded with basic taxes. And referenda processes end up taking enormous efforts to get the public mobilized around specific things. That's, that's why we have general taxes, to support our general operations. And that's what I believe this is. This is a fundamental role to help our community evolve and, and mature and become more sustainable. And uh, the state law sets up whether how taxes are imposed. Really. All right. We're having a lively discussion about this uh, proposed um, half a percent income tax that would f- help fund um, projects that would address climate change here over the next 10 years or so. So we're, we're talking with uh, four um, representatives of various points of view. We've also got a phone call we're going to get to right after the break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
From the Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to Noon Edition. We're having more conversations here during the break. So uh, it's, it's been a lively program so far. We're talking about uh, the city's proposal for a sustainability investment fund, which would be funded by a, uh, a, a city uh, in, or an income tax that would go countywide. So we're talking with the mayor, John Hamilton, and William Ellis, the chairman for the, of the Republican County Republican Party, but also a member of the Ellisville City or Town Council. And we've got Mary Morgan, Director of Advocacy and Public Policy for the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, and Bloomington City Council member Matt Flaherty. If you have questions or comments, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And we have a question on the phone. Arvis is on the phone. Go ahead. Um, yes, uh, I think about a year ago or so, the uh, Supreme Court made uh, uh, sales tax collection mandatory on Internet purchases. And uh, because of that, the state is now getting a whole lot of more money coming in than it used to. And I would like to know why that money could not be used for uh, sustainability uh, instead of us having to uh, implement uh, an additional tax. Mayor? Well, I, I, I'm not an expert on all of that. The state sales tax doesn't go locally. That goes directly to the state for their funding uh, of, of state operations. Um, we don't have the authority locally to set uh, taxes except as prescribed by the state legislature, which are a pretty narrow list of things we can do. I do, I think it's a great suggestion for the state to consider those kinds of investments, because the same challenges we face uh, on on, an, on a changing climate, a changing economy, a changing society, certainly are faced across Indiana, and it would be nice to see some some leadership on those issues from the state level too. So, just to go along with what Arvis is saying, now he's talking about a state tax, and I understand you can't use that. I guess the, the question that I would have, which I think a lot of people would have, is you know, there's eight million dollars a year for the city in this. I mean. Are, is the budget so tight that we couldn't find some of that money somewhere else? I mean, how do you, how do you? Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great. We always are looking for and try to achieve efficiencies. I, I do think it's important to note that w w the big forces at work. We've had dramatic reductions in federal support for numerous things we care a lot about. We've had dramatic reductions in support for affordable housing and a lot of basic infrastructure, from water to to roads to others that are not keeping up with our needs. Everybody has heard, I think, the huge infrastructure needs that, that everybody faces, and those hit us, and those are affected by climate change from water to, to sidewalks and other things. Um, in, in the same way, the state has imposed property tax caps, for example, that cost the city about a million dollars of lost revenue last year. Some cities in Indiana are losing $10 million a year from those caps. Those are, that's revenue that's pulled out of the local economy. So we have to find ways to meet the needs that our community is asking us to meet. We have homeless. We have people with mental illness. We have people who can't afford housing. We, we know we need to address transit. Uh, in fact, countywide, and I I'll, I'll, won't talk too much longer, but countywide, there was a really strong countywide interest in a 0.25% in, income tax increase for transit expansion, which I think is, was a good idea. We, we didn't get that through the legislature, but this, this would let us do as a whole region serious transit infrastructure investment. And again, we're not getting more transit money, even though the needs are going up uh, from the state and the Fed. 
Uh, let me just add uh, Savannah Sullivan, who I referenced earlier from the Environmental Resilience Institute. She said um, to us, I think that what that uh, what we are seeing in cities is that there is limited funding from federal government. Uh, there's limited funding from state government to address climate change. So she's saying kind of the same thing that you are. How, how did you land on a half a percent? Well, there's no, I think, you know, Matt and the city council, local income tax council will be evaluating that. Um, part of it was based on the concept that a lot of people had been talking about a 0.25% for transit. Uh, that's been around for a few years. There's been an attempt to get legislation passed up in the legislature, which didn't pass that special transit tax. From my perspective, that's probably in the ballpark for transit needs. We can go into the details of the budget, but that that would be a 30 or 40 percent increase in Bloomington Transit's budget, which would let us do Sunday service and some significant improvements. But in addition to transit, I feel there are needs for affordable housing, for clean energy, for local food, for workforce support to help people who want to get into the workplace who aren't. And, and that that combination is what brought us to 0.5%. That would also keep us still on the lower half of the income tax levels of cities around the, around the state. Uh, and and I, didn't, I wanted to leave room, I think it would be appropriate to leave room for if things are coming up in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So Matt, I wanted to bring you back into the conversation. You're the chair of the, the newly formed Climate Action Resilience Committee, right? For, so how's this funding mechanism I mean, what, how, where, where would you place that on just the priority list for the committee and the committee's work? Yeah, honestly, um, I mean, this is our main priority at the moment. We, you're right, the, the city council just adopted um, some new standing committees to help handle emerging questions in a more efficient way than we had been. And uh, we see the purview of the Climate Action and Resilience Committee right now to be dealing with this question and considering it seriously, which is why we're kicking off a series of public engagement sessions uh, and input sessions, which began last night at the mill. We had 120 people out and a really good conversation about uh, the needs this community is facing and how to invest in our future. Uh, I will mention at this juncture, too, that next Wednesday night, uh, the 11th, at 6.30 p.m. in council chambers, that committee is hosting another committee hearing to, to gather more public input. We're still settling on the exact format of that meeting. Um, but yeah, you know, I think a lot of these are open questions. A half percent was sort of, a, I think, a benchmark from the mayor to say we have more needs than just transit to deal with these impacts that are facing our community and to make sure that we're transitioning in an equitable uh, way, in a more sustainable way. So we, yes, maybe more than a quarter of a percent that was uh, the idea around transit. But I think it's an open question. I think uh, based on public input, that can change the timing of this and exactly how the, the process is and uh, in terms of public input, not just before uh, any vote would occur, but even afterwards and how funding is prioritized and allocated. Those are all open questions that uh, deserve and, and, and need public input to help shape the proposal. And I do think that there is... You know, the question of why 0.5% or why anything, it, it's sort of the, the question that would be answered if you started out by saying, here are the projects that the community has decided on. And I know that this is public engagement process is happening now, but we do have the comprehensive plan and we have a sense of um, kind of at least a foundation for what our priorities are. And if we could attach dollar amounts to those, um, and I hope we will, then that would be easier to answer maybe less than 0.5 or maybe the entire 2.5. Um, it's hard to say. Matt and then yeah. William. Yeah, I agree with Mary and appreciate that that sentiment. I think uh, the comprehensive plan as well as our transportation plan and sustainability action plan will all uh, have been community-driven processes that help set our priorities as a community and will help drive a conversation. Um, I do think uh, when you start to talk about all these different things we're talking about, almost without question, you could spend you know, $15, $20 million a year or more uh, investing in preparing for these things. So I don't think it's a matter of um, you know, is, is a half percent um, too much necessarily. It's, it's a question of balancing how this impacts people, what the priorities are uh, you know, as the community defines those in our plans, as well as this public engagement process to what's most important for us to invest in now. But the need is is extensive. We know we have a lot of people. Um, Lauren Travis, the assistant director for sustainability, was citing these numbers last night. Something like 60% of our community has a very hard time meeting just basic needs, housing, transportation, energy, and food uh, costs. So we're trying to address those basic needs and make sure we're protecting our most vulnerable citizens. And that's there's a lot to cover there in that, in that, uh, that area. So um, I do think uh, as we move forward and develop more specific details and get public input on that, we'll have a much clearer picture of exactly what we can accomplish with a half percent and figure out, yes, is that an appropriate number? And if not, if it should be more or less, then, then we can adjust that. There's no, um, that's, that's up to the Local Income Tax Council. Any 
entity on the local income tax council can make that proposal and 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 bring bring a specific you know percentage amount in the timing of any vote. Um, I hear a lot the affordable housing and mental health brought up. I'm just I'm I guess I'm kind of not clear how that relates to the whole climate change thing. I understand that that's a need, but it sounds almost like we're just throwing a couple bunch of different stuff in here. But one way Ellettsville is addressing affordable housing is making it easier to build more homes. I mean, that's one of the things you get more homes in the market, you're going to actually lower the prices. Because Ellettsville's had uh, quite a bit of uh, a squeeze on home prices and rental prices, too. So, you know, with creative zoning and that, I, I don't know where we would need any more money for that. We do have flooding problems in our downtown area. Um, it's going to be a very expensive fix. But we're budgeting that with what we have, and I, I don't, I, I don't really see any need where we would ever have the need for this. We could, I'm sure there's people with their hands out that could say they'll find a need for it. But what my concern is, we have people that are living paycheck to paycheck, and uh, I mean our biggest industry, it seems to be worth the, the most amount of people that I see, are pretty much small businesses, uh, fast food in Ellettsville. And if you're talking about 15 or $20 a month or whatever difference, uh, that may be the difference of them having housing. That may be the difference of them having paying their light bill. And we're not just going to be able to wave a wand and fix that with any type of tax. How about give them more freedom to be able to earn more money and not, you know, push them, have one hand on their head while the other hand is trying to pull them up. It's, it seems counterproductive to me. And I understand you want a progressive income tax. It's not the state law. So why don't we just pause everything and wait to get the state law changed? <laughs> Mayor? Um, so look, I'm very sympathetic with every community that's struggling to meet needs. And I, I know Ellisville is working to do that. And, and every community is a little bit different. And I encourage Ellisville and, and uh, all communities to work to, to meet the needs of their folks. Um, I would say sustainability, which is what we're focused on, is very explicitly, and this is all built deeply into the public engagement of the Sustainability Action Plan and the Transportation Plan and everything else. It's very deeply built on three pillars that, that are all important to sustainability. One of them is in the environment, but another one is economic sustainability, which does mean having jobs that pay a living wage. And a third one is equity and making sure that, that our society and our sustainable community has a place for everybody and treats people fairly. You know, if you want to talk about state policies, you know, we're stuck on seven and a quarter minimum dollar, minimum wage, uh, which is a terrible thing for lots of workers that you mentioned, uh, William, uh, that should be getting a much more living wage uh, uh, that, that this state could make happen, uh, you know, overnight with a, with a bill. But we just don't see support for that kind of thing. And those three legs for sustainability is what we're focused on, the economy, the environment, and, and equity altogether. What kind of timeline are we talking about so that there's time for a back and forth with the public, time to make changes, and as you, as you were saying, time to, you know, put dollar amounts next to goals and really flesh this out? Are we, are, are we up against a hard deadline to do something quickly? Well, I would say the, you know, the transit discussion has been going on a few years. It was, I was kind of pulled into that discussion my first year as mayor back in 2016. Uh, so that discussion about expanding transit investments has gone on a long time. This other part, we've, we've certainly been talking about how do you finance affordable housing? How do you finance more clean energy? How do you finance support for people trying to get in the workforce, child care, other transportation options, that kind of thing. The way the law works, uh, if, there's, if the local income tax council passes uh, a, a new ordinance, uh, a new tax, before September 1st this year, then uh, it goes into effect October 1st. If they do it a little later than that, it goes into, tech, into effect January 1st. But the realities are all of us governmental entities do our 2021 budgets starting in the summer, really starting in a, a few months. So we think the discussion over the next three months is really a good time, an important time to start to talk about what are those pieces of the bucket that, how much does it cost to add Sunday service to buses? How much would it cost to offer rooftop solar to 100 families, uh, low-income homeowners in the city? And kind of put that money together so we can bake it into the 2021 budget. So three months start to finish mm -hmm. is what we're talking William? Yeah, one of the things I did want to address, you're talking about the living wage uh, situation and the state could fix it just with the law. Um, no, because there's unintended consequences of either less jobs or less hours, just like what happened with the Affordable Care Act. And 
creating a competitive marketplace raises wages. The McDonald's in Ellettsville starting at twelve fifty an hour. I mean, that's pretty close to the fifteen. It's way it's closer to the fifteen dollars an hour goal than it is the seven twenty five. Now that may be because I'm down there five times a day getting a diet coke. I don't know. <laughs> but the point is is that those market forces, even in a town like Ellisville, are driving the rate raises up. I don't know of any places around us that are paying seven twenty five an hour. You cannot keep an employee for seven twenty five an hour. Then let's raise the minimum wage because it's it, look, William, all the evidence shows it does not destroy destroy jobs. It creates we, we have people working uh, uh, who are on welfare, which shouldn't happen. But that's a that's a debate for another That's another, another day, show. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. We have a phone call, so let's no, we don't have a phone call. We, we, <laughs> we thought Never we mind. had a phone call. Right. But um, I wanted to follow Matt, I wanted to just ask you, let's you know, we're not gonna hold you to anything, but can you can you be a little specific about some of the things that this money might go toward? You know, the mayor mentioned environment, economy, equity. Are there, you know, we've talked about transportation a lot, but what are some things that, you know, might just that the our listeners might just say, oh, okay, I get sure. it now. Yeah, of course. I think transit, again, has already been a part of this conversation with support and a lot of buy-in from the community, including the business community and uh, county council members, or some of them anyway. Uh, so that, I think, is central and really important. I think that's an obvious one, too. What I'm looking at and, and hoping for are actions that help do our part in reducing our emissions. Uh, we do have a you know commitment to our broader global community to do our part, and we have that's been adopted in our plans and resolutions from the city council and commitments from the mayor with the global covenant of mayors on climate and energy. So let's not entirely lose sight of that either. We're trying to do our part to address the massive collective action problem like the world's never seen. So we look for the actions, or at least that's what I'm looking for, are the actions that, that do our part there but also help people here and now. Transit's a big one because that's uh, really targeting um, benefits to folks who are struggling to meet transportation needs. Uh, other things that we could look at are other mobility options, making sure that we are an accessible community, uh, you know, and a walkable and bikeable community for folks who want to use those options in a safe way. That does have to do with uh, housing and where housing is located and making sure we're pursuing transit-oriented development. Some of that is zoning changes. These are broad conversations that go beyond just, um, uh, you know, the idea of a sustainability investment fund. But to speak to a few more specifics, um, you know, we could look at the possibility of uh, both low-income grant programs as well as zero-interest or low-interest loans for renewable energy, for energy efficiency measures to make sure we're building an inclusive uh, and equitable transition to a, to a low-carbon economy and, and energy sources, as well as lowering bills for people who are struggling to pay their energy bills. So, you know, augmenting uh, the federal dollars that are there uh, on the energy efficiency front. Um, stormwater infrastructure is another big one, uh, and looking at managing that so that it's you know, folks that can least afford that surface flooding when your basement floods and, and kills your washer or dryer, uh, making sure we're mitigating those things so that it's not our most vulnerable community members who are dealing, left dealing with the fallout from, from these changing impacts and changing climate. Uh, so it's identifying those needs. And we had a really great conversation last night with seven tables uh, based around different subject areas, including local food, planning for climate change. Um, green infrastructure, sustainable housing, led by a lot of subject matter experts from the city, department heads, and we're in the process of gathering input to use in combination with our already adopted plans to really help shape a proposal. But I hope that helps speak to some of the specifics. Maybe I can give two other, Matt, those are great options. Just two ideas of things that are already kind of underway. One, local food. We have big institutional buyers that find it difficult to buy a lot of local food. And, and being able to assemble the products and encourage the growth of more of food here can require a little investment in some infrastructure in, in the middle to aggregate that local food so IU and IU Health and school corporations can buy lettuce from a lot of farmers. That's not a big dollar. It might be a few hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, but can really make a difference in, in that kind of program. A second one. We actually have a program in the city where we work with Centerstone with some of their clients dealing with mental illness or substance use disorder to get them jobs uh, and, and get them trained and ready and, and used to be in a, getting a job. And we did that. We did a pilot program with that. That costs some money, not a ton. We've actually had one person graduate and now is a full-time city employee, and it's a great story. This, this fund could help us reach a bunch of people who we just don't have the federal or state money to do that, but this would help us create a pathway for folks like that to climb into the workforce where they want to be, but it's difficult and takes a little help. We got a couple questions from Dee. So the first one here, um, she asks, she brings up the issue of walkability in high-density areas and is asking, why do we have to have a big grand idea? Why can't we just work on fixing the small <laughs> issues that affect everyone every day? 
And I would echo that. Almost every time uh, I go for a walk, I live downtown, go for walks, and uh, I end up complaining. The word is probably not complaining that I would use if I'm not. <laughs> Suggesting. Uh, that's right. Okay. Um, about the two things, quality of the sidewalks um, and the uh, lack of sidewalks in a lot of areas. I and mean, in some cases, it's quite dangerous to, to go for a walk in certain areas. So I think that the, the current infrastructure is part of this conversation as well. That's absolutely a big target of this kind of infrastructure to help that. It's, it's, it is small ball in a way. It's, it's basic common sense stuff. It's expensive, but it's important. And we don't have the resources right now to do that. So that's absolutely okay. a, a good focus. She also asks about the innkeeper's tax and why can't we use that? Well, I think that is by statute. It has to is split between the convention center and the visitor's bureau, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think that can be used... It may be able to use for some tourism related, but I, I don't think it could be used for much, much else. I mean, for its history, an innkeeper's tax yeah. is paid by people in hotels and now Airbnbs too, and those kinds of things. That de- that is dedicated to convention and and tourism related activities. It, it can pay for trails, right. parks, connectivity like that. It actually does have a little provision that says for economic development too. But our community over a thirty year period has really focused on two pieces. One is the is the Visit Bloomington support and then the convention center. Okay. I want to go to another clip. We want to bring uh, Ross Martini Eiler's voice back in. He's got one clip where he basically makes a comment, but it has a little danger point in it that he wants to bring up as well. So let's just listen to Ross. Perhaps the biggest danger is if we think that this is enough or by creating this fund, then the city is, is on the right side, uh, job done, box checked, and we can all go home. Uh, The kind of changes that our city needs to make that need to be made on every level of government, but including the city and the county level, are transformational. So if what this is is a first step, I think everyone will be very happy um, and appreciative of it. So I just want to get reaction to that. Matt? Sure. I think Ross is right that, uh, you know, an acknowledgement of the climate crisis and understanding what that means for our future in Bloomington requires, you know, actors at all levels of government as well as, you know, private private uh, sector and, and institutional sector uh, like IU um, to consider this in, in all our decisions. So every every decision we make in the context of the built environment, including zoning, to call back uh, Dee's point and how we're developing and how how our land use policy evolves, all those questions need to look at, uh, you know. What, what is the right choice to uh, lower costs for people, to lower our carbon footprint and do our part on solving this, this big problem and addressing the impacts that are coming our way? So certainly a sustainability investment fund is part of that conversation in getting us moving in the right direction, but it's by no means the, the end of the conversation. I guess I'd like to know a little bit more about what he means by transformational, because I can guarantee you that the business community is very concerned about sustainability, but if you talk about you know some ap- apocalyptic agrarian future, uh, you know, we might have uh, difficulty getting buy-in for that. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's also important to um, note that the uh, local income tax is restricted into four categories, so you can levy it in different categories. And the one that is being framed for the sustainability fund is actually, I believe, the economic development category. Which So there's overlap between the, the economic development and, and the business sector and a lot of the issues that are being talked about now, but it's definitely, uh, I don't think we're on a trajectory for transformational uh, projects, mm-hmm. unless I'm wrong. I, I would just add, too, I think Ross is right. Um, Ross was one of hundreds of people who have twice come to City Hall, many of them young people, insisting that we take action and take it seriously. And one of the things I've mentioned is I want to be able to look today's 10-year-old, many of whom were at City Hall, in 10 years when they're 20 year old, I want our community to be able to look them in the eye and say, we did our best. We, we did our effort, we did our part to, to move forward. I, I do think transformational, I don't know the exact word, but the, the, one of the leading capitalists in the globe from BlackRock sent a letter last in January that said, this is transformational of our whole financial global system. We are going to change to a no-carbon, low-carbon future, and that's going to be very transformational in how we live, and we need to do it well. And the thing, uh, the optimistic and the good thing is when we do this right, it actually creates a community that will be so high in quality of life. It will be the kind of place that I think speaks to our values and will help us incorporate our values of inclusion and sustainability altogether. William and then Matt. 
I really think that uh, it scares me to hear the word transformational because I don't quite know what that means. Uh, I think it's more of a philosophical thing on the hairs of the back of my neck because <laughs> it we have transformed what we have done in this country and in the world a couple times before. We went from whale oil to you know to oil to to build things without government intervention. The private industry is is to me what we need to be nurturing and what we need to be actually focusing on to to go if you want to go carbon neutral or carbon zero actually uh, to do that. I mean, we've got Elon Musk with Tesla. I mean, they're doing phenomenal things. I mean, he's got his hand in everything. We need more like that, but we don't necessarily need the government to change it. And I know in Ellsville, we don't need that. We've got one minute. Uh, okay. I'll, you know, I already addressed Ross's point, which I do think that we do need to transform and change. I think the science is unequivocal. The IPCC 1.5 degree report that came out in 2018 is quite clear. The private sector, no, is not accomplishing the transition to a low carbon economy fast enough. We do need help in, in pushing that along. And it's, it's not just government either. It's everybody working together, which is why the mayor has also proposed a green ribbon panel that will work with private sector and others, the chamber, BEDC, uh, other regional players to address these challenges. I want to quickly quote Greta Thunberg, who addressed the European Commission yesterday uh, and said, when your house is on fire, you don't wait a few more years to start putting it out. And I think that that struck a chord with me. Uh, this is an important thing to do now. This is a really important decade uh, to address these challenges. And I, and I look forward to continuing the public conversation around uh, how we can do that. I would just add the railroads transformed our, our country, the highways transformed our country. Those are both big government programs. Government does actually step in and help us transform to become the kind of community we want to be. All right. We are out of time. We've got a couple more questions, but we're just not going to be able to get to them. I want to thank our guests today, Mayor John Hamilton, uh, Ellisville Town Council member and Monroe County Republican Party Chairman William Ellis, Mary Morgan, the Director of Ag Advocacy and Public Policy for the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, and Matt Flaherty, a member of the Bloomington City Council. For Sarah Whitmire, producer Benta Boutier, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.